Hello and welcome to this audio version of the Universal Prior Substack, where I write about all things related to brains, minds, and their possible uses. My name is Jan, and I'll be reading some of the posts that I publish. If you like what you hear, consider checking out the blog at universalprior.substack.com and subscribe to get a notification whenever a new post is released. And now, without further ado, on automatic ideas. Code first, ask questions later. In On Scaling Academia, I made the case that automatic research, i.e. AI-supported and scalable application of the scientific method, might be great. My argument went like this. 1. Automatic research is beneficial for academia. Systematization and objective metrics of progress are woefully lacking in current academia. 2. Some degree of automation might be strictly necessary for continued scientific progress. Note the ever-increasing unwieldiness of humanity's collected knowledge. However, many things might be great, but most aren't tractable. Does automatic research fall into that category? It's tempting to tackle that question from the metaphorical ivory tower and to get lost in definitions and speculation. That's not my comparative advantage. I prefer to get excited and build things. In this spirit, I'll code first and ask questions later. Instead of doing all the research at once, I focus on a central aspect of research, idea generation, and present some of my initial experiments and experiences with automating idea generation. Using Yarn to generate all the proto-ideas. The first insight is that having ideas is really easy. The problem is having good ideas. When you feel like you can't come up with any ideas, you probably can't see the forest for the trees. Generating ideas is a combinatoric process. Take two things or more, combine them, and voila, clown dentists, West Dakota, and Halloween in January. People working on computational creativity call this pastiche and distinguish it from real creativity, quote unquote. But let us not be deterred by that. We'll start philosophizing once we're done coding. Perhaps we will see a path forward once we know how to generate pastiche at scale. Pastiche at scale, quote unquote, happens to be one of the many nicknames of Jan, a large language model fine-tuned on my personal notes and the papers that I read. Given a prompt, Jan will produce multiple possible continuations, kind of like the autocomplete feature on smartphones, only more so. Prompting Jan with, quote, here is a list of interesting project ideas, colon, one, end of quote, produces pastiche gems like, quote, I want to go to medical school. Are there any ways in which the planning fallacy can be helpful? Build a service that delivers toilet paper to your home. Investigate how neuromodulators affect the formation and function of dendritic spines. Build a band name for your friends and make t-shirts. A camera that takes a picture whenever it detects that someone is yawning. End of quote. And a lot more. Making yarn generate pastiche for 24 hours results in approximately 10,000 proto-ideas. I call them proto-ideas because quality varies a lot. Sifting through all of them is more work than coming up with proper ideas myself. This leads us straight into the next step. Turning proto-ideas into ideas. The second insight is that distinguishing nonsense from ideas is easy. I can tell if a proto-idea is nonsense in less than a second, which is usually a good indicator that the process can be automated. 
The solution that I came up with is a logistic regression model on a semantic embedding of the proto-idea that is trained online through an interface I threw together. Here is embedded a video that shows an interface where one proto-idea after another is presented and the user rates the idea on a scale between 0 and 1 um, with respect to its usefulness. This video shows the interface after I've trained it for a few hundred examples and the predictor usefulness 0 equals nonsense, 1 equals idea has already converged pretty well. In fact, when I map the proto-ideas into a low-dimensional space, we can see a bit of organization emerge. Here is an embedded illustration of a TSNE projection of semantic embeddings of proto-ideas, uh, with the color indicating the usefulness of proto-ideas as predicted by the logistic regression model. In the top left, there is the neuroscience peninsula with uh, a tendency towards high predicted usefulness. Um, then we are moving away from that through the land of AI into the battlegrounds of do a workout where the ideas get less and less useful uh, all the way to the sovereign territory of bad job ideas um, and the island of nonsense with very low predict usefulness is uh, completely separate from the rest of the manifold. As you can see the regression has learned that ideas from the neuroscience peninsula tend to be the most useful for me. Quote, a project on how the brain makes use of prior knowledge to guide decision making. Development of a new theory of cortical computation that incorporates topographic organization, feedback control, and multisensory integration. To understand how the brain stores ideas hierarchically, we could study how it works when it can't find an idea and how it works when it can. End of quote. But also in other regions of the semantic space, there are ideas with high predicted usefulness. Here is a selection. Quote, Write a book in which each chapter is a different type of cinema. For example, the first chapter might be in the style of a documentary, the second chapter mainstream cinema, and the third chapter experimental cinema. Have an online game night. This could be a game night that you host on Zoom and that people can join. You could do it every week and rotate hosts. An AI system that plays the role of a creative director for an orchestra. To make a game where you have to help a scientist find a cure for a disease. The Tale of Gandhi and the Old Witch, The Tale of Gandhi and the Two Giants, The Tale of Gandhi and the Flying Mountain, The Tale of Gandhi and the One Who Would Not Speak, The Tale of Gandhi and the Loveless Kingdom, and so on and so on. Ideas and great ideas. The third insight is that the quality of an idea is not intrinsic but an extrinsic property. The quality does not sit within the idea, it is determined by us from the outside. And these judgments are subjective, so there is no universal way to generate great ideas. However, once you do know which criteria you care for, identifying a great idea reduces to a constraint satisfaction problem, and we have great tools for solving those. In the simplest form, we don't even have to resort to anything fancier than search. The algorithm looks something like this. Here is an embedded code block that says while not found, idea equals next idea, if constraints of idea are satisfied, then return idea. I've implemented this with a semantic search, followed by a ranking according to usefulness predicted by the regression. Here is another embedded video that shows, given a query, a list of possible ideas ranked by their predicted usefulness. The actual constraints arising in a research project are substantially more complicated than just semantic similarity, but the central logic of this approach remains unchanged generate a lot of ideas and filter. 
The comparative advantage of computers is that they can do a simple thing much faster and much longer than a human can. Generating a ginormous dataset of proto-ideas is not feasible for humans, but easy for computers. This is essentially the same strategy that led to superhuman chess performance and that only now, after decades, is supplanted by more data-efficient methods. Going from great ideas to implementations. The fourth insight is that while greatness of ideas is subjective, the greatness of implementations is more objective. You can argue whether some of the great ideas are listed above are actually great, but once there is an implementation, the nature of an argument changes qualitatively. Once implemented, reality enters the discussion and adjudicates. I want to write an entire post on how to automate going from an idea to an implementation, but here's the minimalist workflow that I'm using for now. 1. Set a time frame based on previous experience from similar projects, not based on particulars of the current project. 2. Divide the time evenly into an expansion and a contraction phase. In the expansion phase, iterate the following steps. Collect information by reading reviews and using Elicit. Chart people and beliefs. In my experience, authorship explains most of the variability. Implement prototypes. Build the smallest toy example that would invalidate an idea. Explore implications and reject dead ends. Reductio ad absurdum. In the contraction phase, do the following. Don't implement anything new. Feature freeze. Identify the solid core. Throw away everything that is not fully cooked. Start writing early. Writing forces you to put things in order. Make illustrations. Drawing things reveals how you actually think about something. And collect feedback. Grammarly improves text beyond just fixing typos. 3. Publish whatever you have at the end of your time frame. There are fantastic tools for some of these steps, and for the rest, I have ideas for how to build the necessary tools. I'll keep you posted on how this goes. Closing thoughts. According to Code First, Think Later, we've now reached the think part. You can probably tell that I'm skeptical of people who declare that creativity is uniquely human. These voices are less numerous now that AI-generated poetry, art on demand and music are actually enjoyable. Perhaps there is still a way of drawing concept boundaries that makes creativity uniquely human, but I'm skeptical that those concepts will end up being very useful. I believe there is substantial confusion about where ideas come from. WikiHow provides a representative answer to the question how to come up with ideas. They recommend the following three-step process. One, getting your brain moving, i.e. engage with the topic. Two, disengaging from work, i.e. allow for gestation until an idea appears. Three, testing your idea, i.e. reject bad ideas. There is an illustration here of a woman sitting on a desk, holding her head, then uh, dancing through a field of uh, wheat and then meditating in the last panel. I have a hard time putting my feelings about this illustration into words. Step two, the gestation period appears magical. Mathematicians have perfected the art of gestation. Quote, how does mathematical creativity take place? Where do good ideas come from? Of course, there is no single answer. And as we all get older, we wonder more and more why we don't have all the great ideas that we had 30 years ago. There is a general agreement, however, that one of the best ways to think about a problem is not to think about it. That is to say, you work hard and concentrate all your effort on the task for a protracted period of time, but then you let it go. 
do something else, mow the lawn, go for a walk, take a shower, have a shave. The mind still percolates away, trying some things, discarding others. Often it happens that the solution to the problem will then just pop up unexpectedly. Ron Graham, late of Bell Labs and now a distinguished professor at US San Diego, gets some of his best ideas while juggling or performing gymnastics. Percy Diaconis, 1945 until now, of Stanford lets his ideas get stayed while he's creating and performing new magic tricks. Henri Poincaré used to go on trips to the seashore. Isaac Newton worked in his garden. End of quote. I see the value of a healthy balance as much as the next person. Pain is not the unit of effort. In fact, I believe that maintaining some balance between intense work and leisure is critical for sustained high research output. I still have a hard time believing that we will have to teach computers how to juggle as a necessary component of the creative process. And also in humans, creativity does not always require a gestation period. A good brainstorming session or just thinking for five minutes by the clock about a problem can solve a substantial portion of problems. Instead of postulating something magical that occurs through the interaction between the subconscious and the conscious, I believe there is a much more parsimonious explanation. What if, as argued above, coming up with good ideas is simply a search problem where possible ideas are proposed, evaluated and, most of the time, rejected? If each proposed idea only has a small probability of being a hit, then the distribution of arrival times of ideas is a Poisson process, and the distribution of waiting times in between ideas is an exponential distribution. As a consequence, finding a good idea simply takes a lot of time sometimes, especially when the probability of a hit is small. Having a dry spell of good ideas is just what we would sometimes expect under this model. Here's an embedded uh, figure showing in panel A uh, several arrivals of Poisson events, um, with an initial interval without any events marked with no idea. And then panel B shows a histogram plot of the waiting times where we see the characteristic long-tailed distribution of an uh, exponential distribution. Disengaging from the problem then is nothing else than pressing the fast forward button. The process of searching for a good idea continues to, quote, run in the background, unquote, perhaps with reduced sources and only rises to attention when a hit, or something looking like a hit, was found. I suspect we can explain away the apparent magical component of the creative process this way, but doing that is a lot less exciting than coding away the confusion, so I'll stick to that instead. This was an audio version of the Universal Prior Substack. If you enjoyed listening, consider subscribing to the newsletter to get a notification about a new post straight to your inbox. And with this, until next time.